Hey everybody, I'm excited to have Jonas actually teach our adult Sunday school. Um, Jonas and Don have been hanging around Maricopa Springs for a little while. How long have you lived in Maricopa? Um, I didn't count, but perhaps about five months. Five months, okay. So Jonas uh, is intending to plant a church here in Maricopa that's a little bit more like family worship oriented. Um, but while he is laying some of the groundwork for that, sorry, I'll get out of your way. While he's laying some of the groundwork for that church plant, uh, he is interested in serving here at Maricopa Springs and being used by God with the gifts that he has. And so our elder team spent some time just meeting with him and talking with him, getting to know him a little bit better. And so we're excited to have him uh, start in this place, doing some teaching for our adult Sunday school. Um, so I'm excited for us all to be able to kind of sit under his teaching, and uh, we look forward to this, man. Thank you for using your gifts to bless the body. Let's uh, pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great mercy and kindness towards us. Thank you for this uh, day, and thank you for the breath of life. Thank you for um, the church here and uh, Pastor Grady. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to, uh, to teach, and uh, Lord, I pray that uh, we would be able to participate, that uh, people would be edified, and uh, the ones who do not know you yet, Lord, would be uh, saved even today. And we, uh, we ask for your mercy upon us so that we may understand the text and observe the text and uh, apply the text uh, by your Holy Spirit to our lives, and we thank you. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so today the uh, teaching out of the, the book of Mark continues. It's chapter 10, verses uh, 46, and we will go all the way to chapter 11, verse 11. So Mark 10, 46. If you have one of these Bibles, let's find out the page number. Whoever has it first can mention it to the group. So Mark 10, that's going to be page 795 in this uh, ESB, ESB Bible. So before we start, I would like to highlight that uh, today it's, I'm not going to be preaching. I'm going to be teaching, but I want you to engage. So I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And uh, for you to answer properly, you would have to look at the text and engage with the text observe the text, see what is actually stated in the text, what's implied possibly, so we can have a good discussion. And, and also, that would be an opportunity to, um, for you to, to increase your, your ability, your skills to study the Bible for yourself. Um, so Jesus said in Matthew 28 that uh, we are all called to make disciples. We are called to become disciples, and then we are called to make disciples. And Jesus says that means teaching them to observe all things I commanded. And so as we go through the teaching today, uh, you will be engaged to, to see more and more what the text is, is teaching, but also to apply, to observe what, what he commanded. So it's really uh, not a time for you to sit still and, and not read your Bible and just, and just listen or perhaps uh, dream, but really to engage, right? So make the most of this time. Make the most of this time. So the teaching title is Shouting Hosanna to Jesus Christ. 
shouting Hosanna to Jesus Christ. What does that even mean? It means save now, Lord. So the, the goal today is for you to call upon Jesus and to ask him to save you now. And if you are already saved, um, to celebrate that, celebrate your salvation. So the main applications would be to plead with Jesus to save you today and then to sing his praises and his hosannas every day. And uh, we will see also that we are called to leave behind, possibly, depending on your situation, and also to use your possessions to follow him. All right, so let's start by reading the text, Mark 10, 46, all the way to 11, 11. And they came, that's Jesus and his disciples, to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So you're all following. Picture that in your mind. We don't want to go through the reading. So they are going to a city and there is a blind beggar who is sitting. Right, the children. And so let's keep reading. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight so I can see. Right? And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. 11.1 Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them that Jesus had said what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches, those are palm branches, that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom, the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. 
And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So let's start uh, to discuss and to uh, observe Mark 10, 46. So there is Jesus. He's coming to Jericho. And the text says, and he was leaving Jericho. So it's, it's a fact of, uh, of history that uh, at the time there were two Jerichos. There was one that was mostly in ruin based on the ancient city, on, on the mount of the ancient city. And uh, we can still, for the people who have visited there, I haven't, but it can still be seen today. And there was another one that was inhabited. And so it's possible that Jesus was uh, walking around the ruins and entering the inhabited place. So he was around this city. You may remember that's the city where there were great walls. And uh, eventually the walls came down and this, the people had a victory there. So this is the location. And uh, so Jesus is with a great crowd and his disciples. And there is a, a man whose name is Bartimaeus. And so his name, uh, it means uh, the son of Bartimaeus. So Bar is son. So oftentimes in the Bible, there are um, people with uh, this prefix in front of their name. And it literally means the one who is the son of he who is highly prized. And some people take that from the etymology. Others say that it means the son of the unclean one. Um, so it seems to have some kind of a, uh, a meaning and a significance as is typical for Jewish names. And he was a blind beggar, the son of uh, Timaeus, and um, he was sitting. Now according to Matthew 21, and that's uh, actually one of the passages that occurs in all four Gospels, it's not that common. Uh, sometimes you have the event described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and, um, and sometimes you have just one gospel. So in this case, it's, it's in multiple gospels, and uh, in um, Matthew, we find that there were two. And uh, of course, if there were two, there were one. So Mark here describes this particular person. Um, some have surmised that it was probably the most uh, prominent one. Uh, perhaps it was uh, uh, someone who, as we, we shall see later, became a Christian who was known. And so they focus on, on Bartimaeus in that particular uh, gospel. So let's look into the text, uh, verse 46 and following, until, uh, say, verse, um, yeah, just verse 46. And um, tell me, anybody, look at the text and, and tell us what are the aspects of the life of this gentleman that we note that jump, uh, that, you know, mark you. What do you see? Anything. The person sitting. He is blind. Great. Something else. He's begging. He's begging. Why is he begging? There's no hope to provide for any other way. So what, why does he have no hope? The children. Think. He is blind. Imagine if you were blind. Could you read the Bible in front of you? No. Could you work? It's very hard to work without seeing what's going on. Could you walk around? Perhaps, but it would be challenging, right? So, if it doesn't work, what is he lacking? Hmm? Money. 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 And if you don't have money, then you cannot eat. 
right? It's going, it's going to be challenging. So he is really in dire need and uh, he doesn't have resources. What else do we see? He's sitting by the roadside. So we have a man here who is really not having much. And even if he wanted to really hard, it would be very hard at that time for him to be able to provide for himself. And, uh, and yet, as we are about to see, uh, he, he had done a lot of things. He had, uh, and I will stop here and ask you another question. As we continue reading in verse 47, what is this man knowing about Jesus? Merciful. He is merciful. We see that because he says, have mercy on me, right? What does that mean? What's, what does that say about him? Knowing specific things about Jesus. He's paying attention. He's paying attention? How so? Just he's learned, he's been listening, he's been finding information out about Jesus. Right. Because look, when, when Jesus passes by, what does he say? Or what are we told that he knows? Even before that. Yes. Can you imagine that? He's blind. He hears very well because, of course, that's his main sense at this point. So he's just picking up information as people pass by and there's the noise in the street and everything. And then he says, we, we are told that he knows this is Jesus of Nazareth. And he gets to know and all of a sudden he changes in his behavior. So he must know because, as you see, you know in the Bible there are many people who are called Jesus. Right? But this is not any Jesus. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, what was known about this particular Jesus at the time? He's healing. He is healing. He's making miracles left and right. He's amazing. He's the Messiah. And so, even though he is there stuck in a corner, he cannot walk. He cannot walk that easily without help or without looking at and touching uh, walls and, and maybe using something to help him. Yet, he has heard about Jesus. He has heard about what he has done. Uh, somebody said something else about Jesus, how he, how the blind beggar calls him. What is the term that is used? Son of David. Son of David. What is it? Was his, uh, um, one of his family members called, uh, direct family members called David? Is that why he is, he's called uh, Son of David? It's from the lineage of King. Right. So children, who is King David? Jesus is called the son of David. What does that mean? The son of David. So David was the king, and David was was promised in 2 Samuel 7 that he would have a dynasty. A house that would stand forever and a kingdom and, and, a, and a king that would be part of his posterity that will reign forever. And, and Jesus is said to be in Romans 1, 3b. So that's the middle of the verse 3. It says, quote, that he was descended from David according to the flesh. So Jesus was an actual descendant from David. So he was 
he was uh, a legitimate heir to, uh, to David. So he's called son of David. What else does that imply? He is the Messiah. the Messiah. Who is the Messiah in the Old Testament? Well, that's Jesus. That's true. But what are we, you know, the Old Testament says that there will be a Messiah. What are the big picture characteristics of the Messiah in the Old Testament? He will deliver his people. He will deliver his people. And what was the main deliverance supposed to be about? Save them from their sins. To save them from their sins. We see that in Isaiah chapter 53, where it says that he will bore the sins of many. And by the way, verse uh, 45, just in this very same chapter, uh, at the end of the, the section from last week, it says that uh, he will bear the sins of many. And that's his people, all the elects. And so that's the main picture. The Messiah was coming to save people from their sins. So in the Bible, God creates men and he says, do not sin, do not disobey me. And they do, and they sin, and sin enters the world, and death through sin, and people need to be saved. And throughout the whole Old Testament, God promises he's going to send a savior who is going to crush the head of the serpent and who is going to deliver his people. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and centuries go by, and he's still not here. And now, there is someone who's sitting, and he hears that there is the son of David who is passing by. And I have a question for you. Is he thinking, well, Jesus is passing by today. Um, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want people to hear me. I'm not going to sit and, and call upon him. I, I'm not going to come to Jesus. I, I'm just going to wait. Maybe he'll come another day. Is that what he does? So what does he do? What's that? He asks for help. He's like, or he calls his attention. He calls for his attention. He asks for help. Something else. Because he could, he could do it like this, right? He could, Sir, is he doing this? No. He cried out. He cried out. Can you imagine that? Despite people telling him to be quiet. Yeah, people are telling him, shh, don't bother the teacher. Come on, we're doing something important here. You know. And verse 46 says there's a great crowd. So he's making a scene. He is embarrassing himself. He, is, yeah. he looks like a fool. So consider this. Today, just like this man, God is calling you, if you're not a Christian, you're not sure you're a Christian, he's calling you to beg Jesus, to plead with him, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? He, and, and, and every Sunday, Pastor Grady and the other elders, they say, come at the end of the service and ask for prayer. If you have, if you have accepted Jesus today, if you want to repent, come. And, and then you might say, well, I don't want to be embarrassed. I'm not going to say anything. And this man shows you the way. He cries out. He doesn't let the day go by. This is the day. This is the day for his, for his healing. And um, we will see that it goes further than the physical healing for him. And so today, you want to respond. You want to respond. Now, there is something else. 
I mean, have you heard of all the things that we just said about what he knows? He knows a ton about what the Bible says. He knows a ton about prophecies. He knows a ton about the Messiah, the Savior. But he's blind. He can't even read. He can't even work. He can't even move that easily. So you and I have no excuse. We have no excuse. You can read. Pick up the books. Maybe he came from a poor family. I don't know. You might say to yourself, well, I come from a poor family. I cannot do this. I cannot do that. I can't know the Bible. I'm not that smart. No excuse. We have no excuse. If he knew, you can know. In fact, you can know more. You have the whole Bible. You have plenty of books. You have a smartphone in your hand that has so much knowledge in there. You can know a lot. You can come to Jesus today and you can learn more. You can pick up your Bible every day and read and you can pray. Amen? So would you do that? Would you take this challenge from this man who knew so much, even though it would be the least likely? After all, many people were passing by at the, at the time who were very religious. They knew a ton. They had memorized a lot of the Old Testament and they didn't recognize him. They didn't call on him for mercy. They didn't know that all the things that he knew and so it's a challenge for us. It is really is a challenge. And it's also an encouragement. And oftentimes, you know, um, when you look back, you, you realize, I don't even know how this happened. How come I know what I know? How come I'm working where I'm working now? You know, 15 years ago, you would have never thought it was possible, but God is good. But you gotta work. You gotta do your part. You gotta listen to the text, observe the, observe the text, and you gotta come to Jesus and cry out, Hosanna, save now, Lord. So let's keep reading. So how is Jesus responding to this man? Is Jesus ignoring him because he's just a poor blind beggar? No. He's a no-name. No. He stops and he calls him and he saves him mercifully. And by the way, the fact that he says, have mercy on me, you know, he knew that Jesus could have this divine mercy on him. He knew that he didn't deserve anything. He doesn't say, I owe it. You know, I've been blind for so long. Now it's enough. I want my, my uh, healing just like anybody else. He says, have mercy on me. He, he knows he doesn't deserve it. And so today, when you come to Jesus, you have to realize you don't deserve it. You're a sinner, and you don't deserve anything. But you come to Him, and you realize He is God, He is good, and He will have mercy on whom He will have mercy. But you come to Him, and He is good. He will receive you. He will stop, and He will say, call Him. Now, what's amazing, watch what they say when they come to Him. What do they say when they come to Him? And they say also, like, calm down. He was agitated. He really went all in. I'm following Jesus. He is the one. That's my day. I'm going. Right? He is really excited. They have to say, calm down. It's okay. No, it's, go ahead. He's going. Right? So you can picture that. It's very encouraging that he really responded like that. And so this overall response for the Christian life um, in Revelation 3 verses 15 through 22, 
uh, I'm going to read a passage that's uh, an illustration um, for us. So it's uh, Jesus speaking to the churches. And uh, in churches, you have people who, who are not Christians. Uh, you have people who are living like they are not Christians as well. And of course, you have Christians. So he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. <coughs> Would that you either that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now watch this one. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then he says, but if you would repent and come to me and realize that you need to have sight, you need to have garments, I would, I would welcome you and I will save you. Really. And so that's, that's also some of the picture that we see here as an illustration of this passage. Another thing I'd like to point out is um, look at how he responds when he's healed. What do we note? Follows him. He follows him. Look at verse 52. Maybe someone wants to read verse 52 for us. Mark 10, 52. And Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following him on the road. So he followed him. What's the, what does that mean? The teacher, master. So you listen right. to him and learn. Yes. You listen to him and you learn. He's following him. And I will point something else. He is sitting, he has his cloak, and he lets his cloak go, and now he follows Jesus Christ. Those were valuable possessions, right? And it becomes irrelevant to him. Now he's following the Messiah. And he, he gets healed and then he follows him. Oftentimes people, they pray, they get an answered prayer, and then that's it. I got my healing. I'm done. Thank you very much, right? So God, when he asks for you, uh, you want to obey him and follow him. It's not, it's not all the time that God calls our attention with specific means that are noticeable to us when that happens. It's really a call for Him. Uh, I remember that one, one day. Um, I'm just thinking about that right now. But I was in France and I received a little flyer under my door to go to a house church. And when I got this paper, to me it was a clear call. Jesus was telling me, do you want to follow me? Do you want to repent? And I understood, this is what it meant. It wasn't just a random piece of paper, it was a call. And so it's the same for you today. It's the same for you in your life. Maybe later on today during the service. God is speaking to you and when He makes it clear, sometimes you will know uh, it's time to follow. It's time perhaps to let go of some things that are valuable and that are considered important, but uh, you know, in comparison to Jesus Christ, this is worthless and so you're going all in for Jesus Christ. You're following him. Can I mention something there? What's what's really shocking is not that this man follows him, but that there are other places in the text where Jesus does incredible things like this and people don't follow him. Like how stupid would you have to be? You know, you're standing there watching him raise Lazarus from the dead, 
Or there's the story of him healing the lepers, right? And only one of those guys actually does what Jesus says afterward. Um, you know, I, I think it's totally reasonable that Bartimaeus would follow Jesus. What's unreasonable is all the other encounters people had, and they didn't follow him. Crazy. Yeah. Any other comments or, or questions about, about this passage? Yeah, it's true. Many passages where we see people receiving blessings and they will not follow Jesus Christ. And uh, that's the opposite of what we should be doing. We should follow him even if we have no blessings and no healing. Because that's, we can that's be saved. That's actually open to People like, like follow the blessing, but not the bless them in Right. God who blessed them. Yeah. They love the gift, but yeah, not the, the giver gift, who not gave the giver. them the gift, right? Yeah. And Romans says, uh, don't you understand that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Right. Amen. All right, so let's keep reading. Uh, Mark 1, um, 11, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied. So you remember what we read earlier? They go and they find the animal and they bring it. And here we see that um, Jesus as typical of him, he sends two of his disciples. So he sends them two by two for encouragement, for accountability, uh, perhaps for protection. And so they are sent. And it's interesting because uh, what is Jesus what is Jesus aware of in that passage? You can read it some more if you want to verse uh, 3 and following. What do we learn that uh, Jesus already knew weirdly enough that there would be a that there would be a colt tied up. That there would be a colt tied up. Prophecy. Right? Just think about it. Jesus has not gone there, Caleb, right? He he's not gone there. How does he know there's an animal right there? Just it's a little bit far away. How, how is he aware? Maybe he's using some kind of a camera technology and he has a phone and he's checking it out in the corner of the street. I can see it from here. A drone. Well, there was none of that, right? So how does he know? He's omniscient. He's omniscient. He is God. He knows all things. And so he can already tell you what they're going to say when you try to take it and this is what you will respond. And how is that even possible? Because he's God. He knows the future. He knows all things. Well, if he knows all things and he can do all things, then he could have just somehow made the animal come, right? He could. I mean, after all, he just had to not even say a word and all the animals came two by two to enter into an ark. And so he takes pleasure to send two of his disciples on a mission, on a project, to help them to grow in their faith and to serve him, even though he really could do it on his own. And for us, it's the same with so many different things that are small and, and larger and average things. And he just sends us to do those things. And um, we're blessed to be able to participate in his mission. Yes. I was just going to say, like, what amazes me the most is the, uh, this line that says, uh, on which no one yet has ever sat. Right. Like, you know, uh, finding a cult in the village, kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe. There are many cults in the village. That's how they they meet cults, right? Um, that it's died. Well, you can guess that the cults died, but that no one ever sat on it. Like, how do you know that? 
right. That. Yeah, and commentators have suggested that because it was uh, uh, it was so that it, it was uh, useful, some kind of a sacred purpose where it was the first time, and it was only for him uh, at that time, right? So there is something unique that's happening there. And uh, it's, it's well known that uh, at the time, when you had uh, an emperor or general that would come back from a victory, they would ride on a horse and enter a city and everyone would, uh, would um, celebrate the victory. And uh, you know, that was the, the way of uh, kings. There are even passages in the Bible where it is described in this way. But he enters with a, an animal that doesn't have the, uh, the grace of a horse, the glory of a horse, that is uh, also, because again, it was never, um, uh, nobody had ever sat on it. Perhaps it was going to be wild, but you know, none of that happens. He enters in a very humble manner. And there was a prophecy. So let's read the prophecy, Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. It's not just that it was all that we described. It was that it was actually a prophecy. So Zechariah, uh, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. So in in this Bible that's going to be on page seven forty nine, seven forty eight actually. Who who would like to read it for us? It starts with rejoice. All right, let's listen to the prophecy. Someone. Can you say the Zechariah, verse uh, 9 of chapter 9. <coughs> I'll read it. You want just verse 9? Verse 9 and also verse 10, please. Okay. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Thank you. So let's, um, and in the other passages in the Gospels, we do see this text uh, quoted, and uh, the, uh, the reference to the prophecy made. But uh, here we are using parallel texts. That's fine. This is really what's going on at the time. And now let's look at this uh, verse uh, 9. And let's see what the text actually says about Jesus. What do we learn about Jesus? At least four things. King, righteous and victorious. Humble. Amen. So he is the king. So he's our king. He is a righteous king, not an evil king. He is humble. We see the, this humility uh, with his whole life, really, but also with the, the donkey. And then there's another piece. Salvation. Having salvation. So he comes to save. And there is a call to shout and to rejoice. And then verse 10 actually speaks of the, so verse 9 speaks of the first coming of Jesus. He came to save. And verse 10 actually speaks of his reign and uh, the, uh, the actual uh, judgments that he will have and that he will make uh, wall cease. And so th these are the two comings of Christ that are just uh, one verse at a time uh, placed uh, right next to each other. 
And we wouldn't know all that happens in between. And yet, uh, Jesus came and the second path didn't come right away. He didn't make the wall cease. He didn't take power. He didn't start his, uh, his, uh, his reign on earth and that lasts uh, forever. And so quickly, people will be disappointed that he didn't actually start his reign. Uh, like a um, nine forty. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. So let's um, let's keep reading. Let's go to verse eight. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. <coughs> All right, so what, what is the general response of the people? Rejoicing. They are rejoicing, just like they were uh, it was prophesied that they would uh, hundreds of years earlier. Actually, you know what's amazing about this prophecy? Is that in, uh, it's uh, the prophecy of the 70 uh, weeks of, uh, of Daniel. And so, hundreds of years earlier, hundreds of years earlier, and I can't go into so many details here, but the point is, when they were, um, the Jews were, they were captives way back centuries before there was a prophecy that was made and there were series of years and there is a, a statement that says that the messiah would come and be cut off in, at, the, at a particular moment in history and when he, jesus entered into jerusalem it was actually right on the timetable of god to fulfill a prophecy that was made so many so many years late, earlier and he came at the exact moment and this is when, of course, the Passion Week uh, began. So this is pretty amazing that when God says that he will do something, the very same day, this will happen. And it happened with the details we saw in Zechariah 9, but also in with the, this prophecy from Daniel. Yes. And you know, the other thing you see here is that how controlled God always is of everything. Because if you go back to verse 7, it says, and they brought the cult of Jesus, and they threw the cloaks on it, and he sat on it. This is a, a, I have a donkey that's never been sat on. And I guarantee you, if I go home today and I sit on that donkey, it's not going to last long. <laughs> right? And, and, but, but Jesus sits on this you know, unbroken donkey, and everything goes perfect, right? according to the will of God. Right? That's right, yeah. Because that could have gone really wrong. <laughs> Amen. It usually does. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to try it, but it does. It does like, no. <laughs> the That's good. That's, that's the New Year's Eve party. Who can stay on the top? <laughs> you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> they do that with bulls a lot here. Fire all around. Kind of Ring of fire. You know, let's go on. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's this preacher, uh, Paul Washer, uh, who says, uh, Jesus calls the waves to be still and they obey. He calls the animals to do X, Y, Z, and they obey. He calls the demons to do 
something and they obey and then he calls you and you disobey <laughs> and right. so we we want to be we want to be following jesus and obeying his commands and and um so anyways let's go back to the text so we see that they shout hosanna and this actually is a direct quote from psalm 118 they are sh shouting one of the songs that were sung at the time the Hallel songs from those uh, passages in, in the in their hymnal their uh, spiritual songbook and they are singing actually a part of uh, psalm 118 so let's read it we will read actually only verses one, uh, verse 21 through 26 of Psalm 118. It's really a beautiful passage. Verse 21. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. And this in the Hebrew, save us, we pray. The words are arranged in such a way that it has be, uh, been transliterated, Hosanna. So all those words, if you speak them quickly, then it looks like Hosanna. And this is why we have this word today. So it, it literally means save us, we pray, or save now we pray save us we pray O Lord O Lord we pray give us success blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord we bless you from the house of the Lord so you see that this song is in the context of the chief cornerstone which is Jesus Christ and he has been rejected by those who are building he's been rejected by the Jews and he comes and um, he comes to save and he comes to establish the the kingdom of uh, David so that's the song and they are they are singing this song they are recognizing that he is the Messiah and uh, so it's very interesting we see what I found to be remarkable parallels between these two accounts Bartimaeus and, and them uh, in, in all cases it's really about a deliverance for Bartimaeus he says have mercy on me so he asks to be to be saved from his blindness and then he follows him and he lets his cloak go to follow Jesus and he's unashamed when they say you be silent he shouts and right there the disciples they take their cloak so he can ride they take their cloak and they put it down so he can ride and have honor and they shout Hosanna save save now Perhaps some of them were disciples and they were celebrating the salvation that they already uh, had received. In all cases, we see that people, uh, they, are, they have either they plead or they, they already pleaded with Jesus to be saved. Then we see that they celebrate him, they shout his name, they praise his name. Again, it's, it's a song. They are singing a song, a song of praise to the Messiah, the Savior. And they also use their resources, either they let them go so that they will have no hindrance to go to Jesus, or they use them in any way, small, larger, to serve the king. So it's beautiful. It speaks to us, does it not? So we have to think about what are the resources we can use, or what are the projects that we can uh, fulfill so we would be serving God in any way we can. And also the singing. I, I love that when it says, they shouted. 
I'm, I'm going to tell you a, a little secret of my thoughts. I really don't like it when people don't sing in the church. You know, it's time to sing, and then and then and of course sometimes you don't know, you don't know this particular song, and that's fine. No, maybe you have some reasons, but but oftentimes you know people come and they they just they just sound like this, and it's time to praise the Lord, and they are they're not doing anything. And they're not they're not trying. And I know because I have children, and I know that I have to help them because you know when we try to sing at home, it's fine. You don't know this one the first day, but if it's been like three weeks and we sang it many times, but now you should be able to do a much better job, right? But we think, well, you know, I'm not a good singer, so I'm not going to do that, you know. It's just, I, I don't, I feel uncomfortable, well, I've never, well, it's a command to sing. Sing to the Lord, it's a command. It's actually a command to sing. Not only that, it's beautiful. It makes your heart glad. You rejoice. And uh, you shouldn't be thinking, I don't want to be ashamed because you're singing to God. And, and the Bible says, however, that when we sing Colossians 3.16, we sing to encourage one another. Uh, so I, I, I always say this when I, when I make comments on this subject. Imagine it's a birthday and then it's time to sing, you know, um, happy birthday to you. And then uh, when it's time to sing, then people are like, well, maybe they don't say anything. And if, if everyone does that, how are you going to feel about it? Well, it looks like they're not really happy about it. It looks like they may not care so much. Um, you know, <laughs> you would be a little bit like, this is weird, this is awkward. Well, it's time to praise the Lord and no one sings. Here it says, they were shouting this song. They were shouting. Now, let's go further. Real, real quick, I've been, been to churches where on Sunday morning they had to keep cranking the vocals and the music up because nobody sings, right? And I mean, one of the things I love about Maricopa Springs is if you stop singing for a minute, you do hear the encouragement of a room full of people right. belting out songs. And uh, I think that that is beautiful. And it is, of course, it's for the glory of Jesus. But if you pause for a minute and you just listen to his people praising him, it's deeply encouraging to your soul. Right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And that's why also we encourage one another because some of us are, are more, you know, some of us pray more. Well, when I have someone who is praying more, he's going to encourage me to grow in that area. So if you're not singing or you're not singing that much or maybe you are a little bit timid, then you have someone else in the church who is really showing you the way, you know, shout to the Lord all the earth, let us sing, right? So we want to have this encouragement. And another thing that I found very encouraging is that even the children sang Hosanna. And this is not exactly on the same occasion, but it's a little bit later. And we see that in Matthew 21, 13 through 16. Uh, let me read it for us. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you, may, you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? So, they're all singing. The young and the old, they are praising and they are shouting Hosanna. So we should teach our kids at home and in the church that when it's time to sing, it's time to sing for you as well. You, you have a mouth? You can praise the Lord. Amen? Let all that breathe praise the Lord. 
It's encouraging to see that. Even in the, in the book of Revelation, when they are before the Lamb, it says they cry, they shout to the Lord, and they praise His name. We want to do the same. We want to just see what they did and see that as an encouragement. When us, we are also singing the Psalms or the songs of the Lamb, we want to give it our best. And we want to grow. It's fine. We all grow. But we want to just realize that this is what God, God calls us to do. And we want to shout and sing the praises of Jesus Christ and Hosanna. Save and praise Him because He has saved. Amen? Amen. Alright, 9.30. We have still some time. Any other comments on this or observation from verses, uh, say, 8 through 10? That song that we looked at, Psalm 118, when I was a kid, my mom would always sing this song. Uh, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Does anybody else know that song? Yeah. Okay. And I won't torture you by continuing to sing it. Um, and so growing up, I thought that that psalm was all about how God has made this day. And that is true. But if you read that psalm closely, it's clearly about this day where Christ enters Jerusalem in preparation to make atonement for sin. And, um, man, I, I don't think I made that connection until, you know, probably my late 20s. Um, anyway, it's, it's cool. It's just that prophetic fulfillment from the Old Testament. Thanks for sharing. And we see that uh, in the context also, it speaks about the cornerstone that the builders rejected. And we all know that they, Christ enters in a humble way. And uh, they're all singing, Hosanna, this is the Messiah. And yet a few days later, they will shout, crucify him, crucify him. And will reject uh, the stone. Because, yes, he entered on a donkey, but it wasn't uh, the next day as the next verse in Zechariah 9 indicated in their mind that he was going to establish the kingdom. He didn't, so they thought, all right, he's not the savior anymore. And so we, you know, perhaps we might think that um, sometimes things really don't go the way we had planned or thought, and we don't want to turn our back on, on God. We want to know that he has plans and he has uh, a day for everything, and we want to trust him and, and be here and be faithful. But it's noticeable that, again, on that day, they, they were singing, but for a lot of them, it was not uh, what they did a few days later. Okay, I have a few more comments uh, on the uh, latter part of the passage. But before that, see, note that it talks about the kingdom, the kingdom of our father David. So there is a whole theology there that uh, God has a kingdom, and his kingdom is eternal. And it's been promised to uh, David, and we talked about that a little bit. And so there is this, uh, this kingdom that is, that is really a major theme in the Bible. That uh, God has a people, and, uh, and one day his kingdom will be, you know, with the earth and heaven together. They will be one, his will will be done in heaven and on earth. In all the same way, it will be in the new heavens and the new earth, and we're really looking forward to that day. <clears throat> okay, so verse 11. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked, at, looked around at everything, at it was, 
as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So verse 11, please read it and uh, tell us what is special in this verse, in your opinion. Mark 11, 11. Jesus entering into the temple. Yeah, I was expecting like a teacher. Like after all this verse, you know, and right. he was going to have a speech. Yeah, good point, good point. There's a procession and, and then no speech. Interesting. Something else. I think that must have been super disappointing for the crowd, <laughs> right? He just walks in, looks around, and then he leaves. Well, what? what? We, where's... Is this the parallel passages, though, that say he cleanses the temple? It's the, the next uh, next week, afterwards. What well, if, like, an inspection? He, he comes like an back. Inspection. An inspection, here we right. go. So what do we see in the text that suggests that? How is it? He looked around. He looked around at everything. He looked around at everything. I mean, think about it. He comes, people are in the temple doing their thing, and around and you know he looks at everything he's inspecting there's a funny video on youtube about paul washer uh so he comes to uh, i think it's the uh, it's first community church then he said says that he has this amazing sermon that he didn't say one word he just looked around and people felt very convicted <laughs> and I love this video, and that kind of like reminded me of this. Like, you just like looked at everyone, and probably like they were like super convicted. Yeah. I wonder what it would feel like if Jesus walked in our, like, our house. Here we go. And started looking around our house. Here we go. You know, like, what, what movies you have there? What, what, what are those books about? What are the, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Inspection? <laughs> exactly. That, that's where I was going. So. I'm sorry. No, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, I will just add something else before I go back there. He goes, he looks at everything, and he does nothing. He saw, he saw all the sin, all the religious traditions that were annulling the word of God. He saw all the things that were evil. He saw everything. And he doesn't. He just leaves. He must have hated all the sins. He must have been in his uh, holiness boiling with indignation. As we see later on when he goes back, it, it's, it's no time for inspecting and saying nothing anymore. He must have hated what he was seeing and, and knowing from the heart. And with his pure soul, he must have been boiling with indignation. And yet with a perfect self-control and patience, patience, he did nothing on that day. And later he comes with his judgment and he cleanses the temple and he makes things right. And so, you know, yesterday I was watching a documentary about finances and scandals with uh, illegal money practices from international banks and the so-called Panama Papers uh, that were recently exposed. And, uh, you know, we're talking about tax evasion, money laundering. And uh, there are so many evil practices of men on the earth. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But Jesus, he knows everything that goes on all the time. He sees all the evils. I mean, so many things we, we might not even speak about here. He knows all of it. He sees it all the time. He is completely hating it. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't do anything about it right now. As far as if you were to compare with what he's going to do when he comes back. And so we see that 
really Jesus has has a day for everything and uh, and uh, on that particular day when he inspected the temple it was not judgment day someone read for us please second chronicles 16:9. really quick can I interject something yeah. there it's interesting that you see that too in the letters to the churches in Revelation right there's this kind of ridiculous patience right I have this fault against you fix it or I'll come and I'll remove your lampstand but it's not this immediate and now you're done right there's this warning and this patience um, but there will come a day. Amen. Second Chronicles 16.9. And as someone is searching to read it for us, we should know that Jesus looks at everything, all people, all time, all the time, and He knows everything that happens, our actions, our thoughts, and everything is recorded in books. And one day we will be judged if we are not Christians according to what is written in, in these books. And as Christians we will be judged for what is the value for the eternal kingdom of God, of all the things we did on the earth. He sees everything. And Second uh, Chronicles 69, someone? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the forest, and give his strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishness indeed. For from now on you will have wars. Thank you. So you see, the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro. They see the whole earth. He sees everything. And He, he gives strength to those who are fully committed to Him. But He also takes notice of everything that happens. And yet again, He does not judge the world right now. He patiently waits and prepares His vengeance. So we can see also, just like um, Pastor Gabe was saying, we can imagine Jesus walking in our homes, our thought life, the church, everything. And we want to run to Him for forgiveness today because of His great patience, right now, rather than when it's too late and He comes to judge. Reminds me that the first judgment begins with the house of God. And he's going to come. And that's where He kind of starts. And right. So, me, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you just made me realize something actually. You know that they take uh, um, this this uh, magazine that looks kind of like National Geographic in France, and uh, they were having a, an article uh, on Jesus and of the behaviors that he had, and some were not appropriate. And one of them that he, they used, they were not Christian, of course. Uh, was this when he said, I'm, I'm going uh, a little bit overhead here, but first, when he started perceiving, when he drove away, drove away the, uh, the people and the merchandise and all these in the, from, from the temple, you know, and they were saying, oh, look, he was not totally like good. This is when he gets angry, right? And as a Christian, I'm like, well, it doesn't say that Jesus was angry, it's a way, and it doesn't say that he was, he seen or anything like that. So, anyway. But now you made me realize actually from verse 11 that he was so not angry in a sinful way. He actually was very patient. He first came to the temple, he saw them, and he didn't react, react like, mm -hmm. uh, in, um, how, how would I say that, like impatiently, you know, like yeah. it wasn't, he just didn't just, just like overturn over the table as soon as he saw them. He saw, he looked at everything. And it's actually the next day he came back to the temple and did that. So I'm like, wow, this is right. This is such like 
it's showing the opposite of what they were saying. He had the low self-control here. Yeah. Right. I never realized that, that it was the next day that he did that. Right. Yeah, and of course, you know, there is a proper anger. There are things that, you know, if you hear about that and you're not angry in any way, shape or yeah. form, uh, there's something wrong with you because this is so horrible. You have to be angry with this. Now, the way you react to that is going to be either good or bad. Uh, but in itself, it's, it's actually uh, something that God himself has. He's slow to anger. He has anger. He's slow to anger. Um, but here we see that he's rich in mercy and uh, he gives you time to repent. And he's uh, the one who also forgives us of our sins. So we want to come to him. Any questions about that? Any questions about how to become a Christian? Any questions about anything we discussed today? Or Any questions? Okay, well, 9.42, let's pray. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this encouragement to uh, shout Hosanna to Jesus Christ. And uh, thank you for his amazing salvation, his mercy, his patience. Help us to have, uh, Lord, um, more sanctified lives and uh, to serve you with our time, our resources. And uh, we, uh, we give you praise. Amen.